Your why is your way. That's the name of our brand new series, everyone. And I think that Mark Twain really summed it up so well. The two most important days in your life, the day you're born and the day you find out why. That's really what we're after in this series because the opening chapters of Genesis give us that insight into the why so we can figure our way forward. I mean, the end zone in all of this that we're looking forward to is Genesis chapter 12. It's the chapter that changed the world. God literally says to Abraham, go to yourself. In other words, Abraham, go to your true self. Who are you truly? And if we can figure out our true self, our why, we are going to advance in a positive way against those things that plague us in life, like loneliness, which is what we're talking about today. You can be in a crowd of people and feel really lonely. So loneliness isn't so much about having people around you because a lot of us have people around us. We're connected to lots of people and yet we still feel deeply dark, dark inside that loneliness, that void. And God wants to help us with that. So loneliness, it seems, is a state of mind. Creation, everything's created out of the mind of God. And now we have in our minds this feeling of disconnection. What is that? Why is it? How do we deal with this? Well, if I can figure out my why, my true self in the eyes of God, I am going to take a big bite out of the problem that God says. Number one problem, first thing that he says is a problem. He's first mentioned the first thing that's not good. It's not good for us to be alone. So there is the focus of this series. There is the focus of this day. Your why is your way. How can we move forward in ending that deep, dark void of loneliness in all of us? That's what we're after today. I want to say just a word about history and metaphor. Because we've been talking a lot about metaphor. Now, they had a, the writers of the Bible, when I say they, the writers of the Bible had a deep and rich appreciation for metaphor. Some people have been asking me in the Q&A, well, are you saying everything is metaphor? Absolutely not. The Bible is filled with history, but not just any history, confirmed history over and over and over again. There's history, but there is both history And metaphor, there can be both. And the Bible has a deep appreciation for both. Now, sometimes we have to understand the ancient Near East. We have to understand Jewish writers to understand metaphor. And then sometimes the metaphors are just really, really obvious, right? So the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We have a saying, money doesn't grow on trees. Well, like money doesn't grow on trees, neither does life or knowledge, So that's an obvious metaphor. We're told that Adam and Eve, they saw the tree, and then a few verses later, their eyes were opened. Well, they weren't blind. So here's two obvious metaphors that we don't need to know a lot about Hebrew or ancient Near East to understand those are obvious metaphors. But there's both. There is confirmed history, and there's a deep appreciation for metaphor that they had far more than we do. They have a much deeper, much fuller appreciation for metaphor. For them, again, metaphor was a deeper reality, a deeper truth. Today, we don't have as much appreciation as that. So we have to get ourselves into the biblical mindset, into the biblical context to understand that. Now, let's, uh, let's shoot straight for this, okay? Your why is your way, and how does that affect 
your loneliness, my loneliness. This is what the scripture has to say. Genesis chapter two, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So God identifies the first major problem, loneliness. We've got to do something about this. He continues on. I will make a helper suitable for him. Verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals. Obvious break. Eve is coming. The companion's coming. We take an obvious break here. You have to ask yourself why. Now the Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them, notice this, he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. So God brings the animals to the man to see specifically what would he name them. Remember, naming in scripture is dominion and rule. Genesis chapter one, God says, I need you to have dominion. I need you to have rule over animals, over nature, over a natural animal instinct. You have to rule over that. It's obviously what's going on. Brought them to man, see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, the wild animals, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Why the break? Why the break? Well, it seems like God was saying, I need you to see a very important distinction about yourself and about others, and specifically in this case, woman, Eve. I need you to see a distinction. You're not an animal. She's not an animal. You can't find what you need to find to end your loneliness in an animal or by not taking dominion over an animal instinct. And I think that'll get clearer in just a moment. But God is trying to show us a very important instinct. Let's continue reading. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. What is the rib? Oh, let's get to that in a second. Then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, here's the man's first words, everybody. And it's not just words, it's song, it's poetry, and it's dripping with passion. The man said, this is now bone of my bones. Literally, he says, finally, at last. He's very excited. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Literally, she was taken out of me. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Specifically, this is physical union, physical, sexual union. They become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, what is this rib, everybody? I know that we have watched recently, one of our youth asked a fantastic question. What is the rib? And then they followed up by saying, I guess we'll never know. What exactly is this? And will we, will we not ever know what this rib, is it going to be obscure to us for always, everybody? What do you think the rib is? If you know, chat it up, throw it in the chat right now. What in the world is this rib that's being talked about here? And God is telling us, in all of this, right, the first big, here's the problem, relationships matter and they matter a lot. And this tells us so much about relationships. If you read this text very carefully, right, with a lot of context in mind, biblical context and curiosity, this tells us so much about what, what is so important in our life, what's going to end our loneliness and why relationships 
built on this understanding that God lays for us right here in the foundations. Again, this is telling us human nature, what we need and how to move forward when it pertains to some of the biggest problems we have. And as far as God is concerned here, this is the first and most important problem that needs to be solved in our relationships. Now, Adam, wildly excited. He knows that Eve is not a lion, a tiger, or a bear. As I said a moment ago, his first words, he bust out in poetry. He bust out in song. He's so excited. And God brings Eve to Adam, which really makes God look like a divine matchmaker, bringing Eve to Adam, making this match. This is something that I personally pray about all the time. Grace would be a place that God would make divine matches. And it almost seems like because he's bringing Eve to Adam, God is the first officiant at this very first wedding in scripture. It is a beautiful scene. It's a magnificent scene. Actually, marriage, marriage done the right way, done God's way is magnificent. When it's not done God's way with God's principles, it is totally miserable. Now, why are relationships so important? This, this is something that incredibly important. So I want to slow down and say this clearly. Harvard did the longest type of study that they've ever done about relationships. It started more than 75 years ago. And here are some of the main takeaways from Harvard's study on happiness. They said the number one indicator when you're at the age of 50, if you're going to be happy and healthy at the age 80, so from 50 to 80, 30 years in the future, the number one indicator is not your cholesterol and it's not your heart. The number one indicator that you're gonna be happy and healthy 30 years into the future is how good are your relationships? And they concluded this, the quality of relationships, the quality of your life. It's not your bank account. It's not the number of your cholesterol level. It is actually the quality of a relationship. Do you have good relationships? Do we want to end our loneliness? What is our way forward? God gives us the why we're created so we can move forward and we can end this deep pain and loneliness. Now, this deals with both men and women, but, but I want to specifically focus on guys for a second because Adam, God says, it's not good that Adam is alone. Again, this deals with all male, female. Okay. But I just want to talk about some things that are really important to men. Most men don't have a true friend. Remember, Abraham, go to your true self. Most men don't have a true friend. Most men are deeply lonely. Most, most of the suicides, sadly, in this country are by men, deeply lonely, dark. They have this void inside of them. So Adam has a problem that must be solved. Hang on to that thought. Let's keep going deeper in this. So, so, so much of what we see here in this scene in Genesis chapter is beautiful. Marriage, magnificent. God operating as the, as the officiant, the, 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 the divine matchmaker. So many beautiful things. However, however, there are hints of potential danger. I want to list some of those before you because they're so critically important. Just by way of observation before we get into the real danger scenes. There is only one verse for the creation of Adam and there are six verses for the creation of Eve. There is no other account in all of the ancient Near East. We have a number of creation stories in the ancient Near East. This is the only account of the creation of primordial woman. So there's six verses compared to his one verse and there's no other account. So this account 
is incredibly unique. There is no other account. This is it. This is the lone account of the creation of woman. It is found right here. What is the rib? We see with the creation of Eve that all of creation is complete. What is this rib? Observations. Adam is now missing something. He is now incomplete. He has a part of himself that is missing. It's invisible, but it's real. And it's deep. Men are looking for something. Men are looking for size. Mentioned a moment ago about the suicide rate. Men are lonely without deep relationships far too often. I'm not saying all the time, but far too often. And men like me, we are looking for something. But so often we are frustrated that we can't figure out what that is we are truly looking for. And we're searching. What is this rib? Men are now looking for something. Well, the interpretation of the Hebrew word is it's side. So it can be interpreted side or rib. Whatever we know, it's from the side of man, from the rib of man, from this area of man, from his side, right? And close to his heart. What is this? Will we not ever know what it is? Maybe. I just want to suggest to you the answer to what that rib is is just so obvious and so simple when we are seeking wisdom from this story. Rather than seeking this, what is this piece of this man's body? Remember, they are wisdom seekers. And if we get ourselves in that mindset rather than a Western mindset that we tend to view this from, if we kind of go back in time through the writers of the text and look at it the way they're looking, the only way to correctly interpret it, maybe the answer just becomes incredibly obvious. Adam has to give up something of himself in order for this meaningful relationship that ends his loneliness to be created. Well, that just makes sense, doesn't it? Jesus says something very important in John 15. Greater love has no man than this. To do what? Than to lay down his life for his friends. Greater love is no man. So isn't it true that every single relationship, in order to be born, we have to lay down something of ourselves? Even simple relationships. Great marriages, I'll get into that in a second. But if you just want a decent friendship, you can't even have a decent friendship unless you're willing to compromise and lay down something of yourself. Jesus says... Friends, you're my friends. How are we going to be friends? Jesus says, lay down yourself. Jesus, I'm going to lay down my life in order as an example for you, as a profound example for you. In order to have friends, we will never have great friendships. We will never end our loneliness. We will never find our way forward unless we first understand our why and our true you. And that is that we have to be willing to give up a part of ourselves, Adam, in order to have the friendship. I say this to my kids all the time. This is the type of person that you must become. This is the type of person that you need to look for, particularly in the area of marriage. Now, this is also true of friendships. You got to have a humble heart, a humble heart. Pride, if you're like hanging on me and power me, I'm going to do my way and I'm insisting on whatever, Okay. Not going to have a great relationship. Not the kind that ends loneliness. Humble heart. Servant's heart. You're like, I want to be served. I got to get things my way. I got to do things my way. If you don't have a humble heart and a servant's heart, not going to work. I've never seen a great marriage that didn't have a humble heart, a humble heart, and a servant's heart. 
plain, simple, obvious, practical, unchanging wisdom out of Genesis chapter two. You know, you got to be willing to give up something of yourself. Talk to any married couple. You'll find this to be true. But again, this is also incredibly true in friendships. You want to have a great friendship that ends loneliness. You've got to be known. You got to have somebody that knows you. You got to have somebody that knows you're alive and that you can count on to turn to in times of help. That's basically what that Harvard study is saying. That is what it's being said right here. Jesus says it. Genesis says it way back in the very beginning of the Bible. Will you give up something of yourself? Will you sacrifice something? Will you lay aside something of yourself in order to build this great relationship? Adam had to do that. I want to tell you a story. This is a true story. Uh, the scene unfolds in Charleston, South Carolina, 2018. Very important day. A Admiral McRaven was there that day. He's on the platform. He's on the platform with a retired Marine gentleman's mid-70s-ish. His name is Patrick McClary. Patrick McClary is missing an arm, has a patch over his eye. He's there on the platform to tell the story of why he's missing an arm, why he has the patch over his eye. He goes back to 1968 in Vietnam, and he describes a scene where they're being run over by the enemy, so to speak, and they're charging them, and their grenades are flying. And he was in a foxhole with a 19-year-old Marine who grew up in the deep south, the Jim Crow South. He's a 19-year-old black Marine. McClary, a white man, is there. Some other soldiers there. And he says a grenade is thrown into the foxhole and immediately Ralph Johnson, this 19-year-old Marine, instinctively, immediately jumps on that grenade. Instantaneously, he instantaneously, he dies. And McClary says that he doesn't do it for Vietnam, the war in Vietnam. He doesn't do it for any other reason, but he did it because he loved his fellow soldiers regardless of color of skin. Because there is a love in him. I heard Norman Schwarzkopf say the exact same thing at the beginning of Desert Storm. You will do what you do today because of love. Wow. And it all brought it back when I'm reading this story by Admiral McRaven in his book, Hero Code. He says, because of love, Ralph Johnson does this. Now let's move back to 2018. In 2018, Ralph Johnson is given the Medal of Honor, nation's highest medal. And the reason McRaven and McClary are on that stage day to tell this important story is because the newest destroyer, the USS Ralph Johnson, is being commissioned that day. And that story is told. And here, here's what happens for men. Men are moved to tears by hearing that story of sacrifice, that story of love. Their hearts race a little bit faster and tears fall from their eyes. I just want to say, what is that? What is it about a man that that type of genuine sacrifice of love moves us so deeply? Could it be that that is the true you, that God is speaking to Abraham? That you got to figure out why you're created so that you can figure out what your way forward is? And maybe deep down, even though the world tempts us to take up our power and to run over others and to do our own thing, that deep down what really makes us feel like we're home and that makes our heart beat faster and that brings tears to our eyes is that sacrifice that Jesus talks about, is that giving up of ourselves that is spoken of here of Adam. 
that now we are incomplete, but we're searching for something. And that is found when we lay our power down, when we give up ourselves and we sacrifice for the love of other people. Now, I want to talk about some things that I see here. The hints of danger with Adam. Notice, I made a big deal out of this just a few moments ago. He names her. Now, God brings specifically the animals to Adam to name them. And he brings Eve. But nowhere does it say that he is supposed to name Eve. He just does it on his own. Now, we've already discussed this. This is why this is so important. You name something, you rule over that. You have dominion over that. He's Adam's never supposed to have dominion over Eve. He assumes it. He does it on his own. Big distinction. Again, you got to study it carefully with a lot of curiosity, with a lot of biblical context. Names the animals. Not supposed to name Eve. What's he thinking? Why is he assuming that he can do that? He's not meant to rule. And then he names her after himself. That really smacks of self-centeredness. She is Isha. I am Ish. He names her after himself. Also, I've said this. This is a very passionate scene. His words are dripping with passion of a sexual nature. We're going to become one. We're going to be union. We're going to have sexual intercourse. This is, now, and this is why we saved some of these things for the Q and A where we can unpack these fuller. But if you want to know more, but theologians, historic, uh, biblical scholars have known this for years. This is, there's a, this is loaded with passion. But notice the passion here. It's very sexually possessive. She is my flesh. She is my bone. He didn't say she's my brain. She's my soul. No, no. He didn't talk about that kind of stuff. He talks about from a sexual standpoint, she's my flesh. She's my bones. Have men throughout history going to see this get unpacked in Genesis, had an issue with being sexually possessive of women. Is this a very strong hint to a problem ahead? How about this one? He talks about her. He doesn't talk to her. He's talking about her to himself. He doesn't have a conversation with her. They don't have a conversation here. They don't have a conversation anywhere, everybody. Is this also another strong hint of danger ahead? Is this telling us why there could be a potential problem and how, you know, dealing with our loneliness in an effective way could be undermined as a result of what we see going on here? There is no mention of her thoughts, her feelings, or her desires. You get Adam's, but not hers, not her thoughts, not her feelings, not her desires. Conversation. Is Adam willing to settle for sex? Kind of seems that way if you put all this in context. And it's definitely going to seem that way when we push forward in Genesis and we get into the problems of Cain or Lamech and on and on, on it goes. Does Eve want more than sex? Is she in search of conversation? They never have a conversation. Then the only conversation Eve ever has is with the snake. As we unpack the problems ahead, Cain, as I said, Lamech, on forward, you see this as you get some of the famous stories of the Bible, King David, King Solomon, and their failures. You think about David in that famous story of Bathsheba and those three powerful verbs. He saw, he sent, and he took. And he has an affair with Bathsheba. He's looking for something. He's lonely. At a time when the kings go off to war, David stays at home. 
he's complacent. He's apathetic. He's looking for something. And then he just sees her. And with an animal instinct, rule over nature, with an animal instinct, he takes, and it doesn't solve his problem. David ends his life in misery. His son Solomon does the exact same thing. Everything he sees, he takes. He doesn't rule over his nature at all. He doesn't sacrifice anything. All he does is consume everything. And he ends his life in misery. Misery. Maybe the story of Adam and Eve and the rib is just so obvious. Maybe it's so clear. Our way forward is to give up something of ourselves. Jesus said it so clearly. Lay down your power. Don't seek to take it up. Don't seek to consume. And maybe in this story, it gives us the foundation of dealing with the world's first and biggest problem in God's viewpoint, that deep void of loneliness and darkness that we feel on the inside of us. So I want to ask you as we begin this very important series, your why is your way. You want to move forward in life You want to experience all what Jesus says. I've come to give you life and it's abundant. You want to experience that. You got to figure out your why and that'll show your way forward. So I want to ask you as we begin this really important series, as we move towards the true you, Genesis chapter 12 and Abraham, will you commit yourself to studying the wisdom, the deep, rich wisdom of the word of God. We can do this together. We can make a difference in our life. We can fill that void and we can be changed people. I want to remind you in a closing verse of scripture, why wisdom is so important from a biblical point of view. Proverbs 4, verse number 7. Wisdom is the most important thing. So get wisdom if it would cost you everything. Will you make that commitment with me? I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask if you would join me in that. Making wisdom, like that's right in the center of our radar screen. Let's go after it. Let's dig deep. Let's ask God to help us to understand the beautiful wisdom of his word to show us our way forward. Please pray with me. Almighty God, I thank you, Lord. Your word is so magnificent, filled with so much deep wisdom, solving the problems that we face every single day of our lives. Help us, Lord, to understand the magnificent wisdom of your word. In Christ's name, amen.